good evening. I hope you guys had a great afternoon. I just want to start with the fact that we are wholly reliant on God. Do you remember in the Bible when Moses said, if you don't go up with me, then I don't want to go? Um, you guys, that's how I feel every single time I get in front of a group. If God doesn't go with me, I have nothing to give. And there's some people who are going to join me tonight, uh, some as some voices to be part of the stories that we're sharing, some as some folks who are going to be part of a prayer team at the end of the night. And we were all praying together, and one of the things that we are just at is, if God isn't here, then we've got nothing. If God isn't present, then we don't have a reason to be here. And so to keep in the forefront of our minds throughout the evening tonight is that God is God and we are not, and he gets to lead us the direction that he wants to lead us couple things I want to tell you about. One is, if this whole idea of belonging has struck a chord in your heart and you're like, I think I probably need to sit with this one a little bit longer than just this weekend, uh, Brennan Manning wrote a book called um, Abba's Child, and the uh, subtitle is The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging. An excellent, excellent book on the things that we've been talking about. Um, some of the ideas that I've been pulling from are stuff that I learned years ago when I did this book with a Life Path group, back when I was in Life Path. I have a confession to make. Uh, this evening as I was getting ready, I was in my room and I realized I haven't been completely honest with all of you. And I thought, you know what, I need to start tonight with that confession because it's important. Um, this isn't actually my real hair color. <laughs> okay, got that out. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I like what the beach does to my hair. There's a lot of times I don't like my hair, but hey. Uh, but it's not my real hair color. I just felt like you all needed to know that. I look quite a bit older if I allow my hair to go the color that it goes, and I don't want to look that way yet. So I just, um, yeah. Uh, I also have an acknowledgement that I want to make. When we get together and we, are, we have opportunity to share with each other, we share stories because stories connect us um, to each other's hearts. And because stories are a testimony of what God has done. And when we share a testimony of what God has done, it is, it's an encouragement for others to lean into God for what he will do for them. So we share stories. But the thing is, the only stories I have are mine. And so you just hear a lot of my stories. And one of the things that I am very aware of and have been increasingly so th throughout the weekend is not everybody is the same personality with the same background as me. And I'm really grateful because I've watched God translating what I've been bringing to your stories and your personalities. And so, for example, I talked to somebody today who said, you know what, I'm, I've, I'm completely the opposite of you. My upbringing was such that it was so much in my face, what are other people going to think, what are other people going to think, that I just finally got to the place that I was like, I don't care what anybody thinks, right? So here's Jennifer going on and on about, you know, we don't have to care what people think. And, and here's this other woman going, you know what, I don't care what people think, but that's actually born out of fear too. And there's actually some self-protection in there as well. And so God is working and he's translating his word to each of us with what we need to hear. There are others of you who would say, you know what, I haven't struggled with that degree of um, insecurity about what other people think. But it's not because I'm so great, it's because God has given me a confidence that he made me for who he wanted me to be. And so when I walk in confidence, even that isn't about me. And yet it's not the same struggle. Our rain finally came. Aren't we glad for the great day we had before it got here? Wow. That's a distraction up there. That's quite a sound. And then there are those who've been on this journey a lot longer than me. And you are walking this road, and yet what some of you have said to me is, and yet God continues to show me something new. 
And yet God continues to affirm what he wants me to see. And so I just acknowledge how good God is to take his word through our mouths, the various voices that you've heard, and speak to your heart when each of our hearts are so very, very unique. And so we trust him to do that again tonight. One of the things that um, came out while the prayer team was praying tonight was this idea of God is weaving a tapestry. And have you noticed that? With the other words that have been brought up by other women other than myself, God is bringing these pieces that could seem to be here and here and here, and yet he's weaving them together, something beautiful. And when they prayed that um, tonight, somebody else prayed that out, I realized, oh, because I'd been wrestling all afternoon with, there are several folks who had come to me and said, I've got this story or this thought or this thing, and I, and I, and I hold it with open hands, use it or not. And I was like, is it tonight? Is it tomorrow? How does it fit? And I thought, you know what? I don't actually know how it all fits together, but taking into account that God is already translating our words into your heart and taking into account that he's weaving a tapestry, I don't think I have to figure out how it fits together. I just think that it's my job to bring to you what he is laying on people's hearts and allow you guys to take what you need and what he's speaking to you. So we're just going to see where God leads us tonight. I'm actually holding uh, the message portion of tonight very loosely, uh, just see where God leads us. And I've got three people who I'm going to invite up one at a time to kind of share what God has laid on their heart. Um, so Linda, would you come on up? And I'm going to say a prayer for Linda before she starts. Yeah, yeah. Father, as I stand here with my arm around Linda, I just am acknowledging how thankful I am for every woman who has stepped up with obedience and to bring a word to us that I could not have brought. You have made this weekend so rich by speaking with your, through your Holy Spirit. And thank you for Linda's obedience to come, even though this is not her comfort zone. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so once again, my heart was beating rapidly after the first session. I wouldn't stop all day, so I knew it was time. So am I talking in the microphone? Hold it a little closer, or okay. I can record it. Maybe we should hold it closer. I got it. Okay. Okay. So, so these are God's words for you guys and for me. Beloved, chosen, holy, dearly loved, treasured, free, courageous, beautiful, I can't read my writing, blameless, <laughs> chosen, child of God, pure, clean, confident, delightful, white as snow, healed, joyful, lavished, pleasing to God, redeemed, restored, and precious. And I just want to say my words were, that came to me were, it used to be that those words fell off me like raindrops off a raincoat. And um, I knew they were true, but I couldn't absorb them. And I think that was where my healing journey began um, when I realized that I had put a bandage over some self-inflicted wounds they had been festering for years, and um, they were making me feel like Cinderella, Cinderella in God's kingdom. And then he gave me the courage to step out in faith and to submit to God's healing work, which was very scary. And I, I'm sure there are those out there who have not made that step. And I just want to encourage you that um, I am no longer a slave. And God says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Now I know that 
who I am in Christ. I know who I am in Christ. The enemy would have you and me believe that our wounds should stay hidden. Don't believe the lie. The truth will set you free. The truth is you are God's precious, beloved daughters. He wants to make you healed, whole, and free. Amen. Can I keep that up here? Sure. Thank you. Wow, once again, I stand up here and say, okay, amen. You don't need to hear anything else from me. You just heard it from Linda. I want to talk briefly about uh, what the message was that I had on my heart for tonight. And I am tripping over something. Sorry. I just, it's, I don't know. It's just in my imagination, I think. Okay, if I go over backwards, you're all going to go, oh, she wasn't imagining it. <laughs> I titled your lesson correctly this time, uh, Belonging is Given, Not Earned. That's the truth. And what I want to say is this. Belonging is given. It's not earned. Membership is earned. If you want to join a club, there are ways that you, you earn your membership. But belonging is a gift. And as long as we are looking at belonging as a membership, as something we can earn, we're going to stay stuck in the lies that we talked about this morning, that either I'm not good enough to belong or I'm not doing the right thing to belong. But if we can get rid of that, that paradigm, that worldview altogether, and recognize that belonging actually isn't earned, it has nothing to do with what I do or what I say, it has everything to do with who God is, that it is given, then we're in a position and a posture to receive a gift rather than in a position or posture to think that we have to do the right thing to cause the feelings in our heart to be what we want them to be. Another way of saying this is, when we are in relationship, when we are following Jesus, when we are growing spiritually, when there are things that we feel God is calling us to do, when we work, not because our faith, our, our relationship with Christ is based completely on grace, we alone, by faith, are children of God. And yet, as one of the writers in the New Testament said, faith without works is dead. And so the evidence of the faith that we have is that we are working at being more Christ-like, at, at living the way that we talked about in Colossians 3. There is work that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. But here's the difference. We are not working for God's favor. We are working from God's favor. And it makes all the difference in the world. Because if we think we're working for God's favor, then our salvation depends on us. And our belonging is something that we're trying to earn. And we think that if we do the right thing and we believe hard enough and if we have enough faith and if we obey and if we behave well, if we, then, then God will, will like us and God will accept us and God will receive us. That's working for favor. So maybe we pray more, or we go to church more, or we give more money, or I don't know what it is that we do more, but we're working for God's favor, and we're trying to do these things. And what happens is, we can do the same things, but when they are coming out of a heart that recognizes that we are working from God's favor, that he already loves us, he already knows us, he already chose us, we are already in him, we are already his children, and yes, we need to be praying, we need to be people of prayer, we need to be coming before God and knowing him, both in the intercession prayer where we bring our needs to him, and also in the listening prayer where we hear what he's saying to us through his Holy Spirit. We need to be in fellowship, 
The word tells us to not give up meeting together, and we need to be meeting together. We need to be studying his words. Timothy tells us that, Paul in his letter to Timothy tells us that this word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it's, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It tells us to hide this word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. We need to be students of this word, but are we students because we're working for God's favor, or are we students because we're working from God's favor? And our hearts can't do anything else but try to get to know this God that loves us so much, to know him more, to listen to his spirit more. And so the same actions. So two different motivations, for God's favor, from God's favor. The same actions, but totally different results. Totally different results. And so tonight, I want to read us a passage that, that kind of shows this truth, but it really is a pretty short message. And the message is this, belonging is given, not earned. Belonging is given, not earned. And if you have a longing for belonging, that's a, that's a pain in your heart, that's a desire in your heart that comes out in loneliness or it comes out in anger or it comes out in uber-organization, because if you can just stay in control of your world, then, then, then it's all going to be okay, right? It, it comes out in different ways for all of us because we have different personalities and different ways of functioning. And yet, if you are aware of that longing, it's not going to be met by you earning it ever it will be met by you receiving a free gift. So let's read together from, I'm pretty sure I've got it marked. I think we're in John, John chapter 4. When, uh, when Jesus was uh, talking with the Samaritan woman. So to set this up, in the time of Jesus, there were the, the Jewish nation and the Gentile nations, and then there were the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were kind of in the middle. They were neither one nor the other, and so the Jews really didn't like the Samaritans worse than they didn't like the Gentiles. And so there's this, there's this area of Samaria, and, and honestly, I should have a map and have done my research, but I've heard somebody else teach about it, so I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but it's, I believe that um, Jews would come, if they were going from here to here, they would come and walk around Samaria to get to where they were going. Those of you who have studied the Bible have heard this before too? I see some nodding. Okay. You can tell that I looked this one up before I started talking. <laughs> so this is what we set up. So in John chapter 4, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Do you ever wonder why Jesus decided when to leave and when to stay and all that kind of thing? He says it was because he did what the Father told him to do, um, which I would so love to continue to learn, to be so clued in and keyed into the Father that I do what the Father tells me to do. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is middle of the day, not when people are usually coming to the well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Let's state the obvious. A Samaritan woman, no less. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So this is just um, laying the foundation for the story for us. She just states what we needed to know. 
number one, she's a woman. Number two, she's a Samaritan. And it's so out of the ordinary for a Jewish man to ask a Samaritan woman for water that she's like, how can you do this? Like, this has never happened in the history of my life. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Pause. How often do you and I do this? When God brings us a promise or a word and we argue with him with logic. Uh, you don't have a dipper, Jesus. How are you going to give me any water? Um, this isn't really going to work out for us very well. And, and, and friends, aren't our logic arguments? I mean, they make so much sense to us. But in light of who God is and what Jesus is capable of, and this woman has no clue, that's kind of how we sound too. Like we have no clue when we bring our logic in place of God's promise. So her logic says, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Anybody know the difference between a flock and a herd? Birds, but did Jacob keep sheep and cattle? Or sheep flocks and cattle herds? I totally digress. I just completely digress. That was absolutely a squirrel moment. Squirrel, I'm back. I am so back. Can we keep reading now? Who interrupted me? Jesus answered. Who? <laughs> Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Can I read that again? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want to flip to John chapter 7 real quick when Jesus made a statement like this again and, uh, and the authors unpacked what he meant. Uh, John chapter 7, starting in verse 37, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, that means he wanted everybody within earshot to hear him. That means that this was open for everybody, even the sinners, even the Pharisees, even the priests, even the poor and the widowed and the abused. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, and you know what's funny? When Jesus says anyone, he means anyone, any, not, not most people, not, not just all the guys or all the girls or, or all the white people or all the black people or all the, he, he means anyone. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Uh, some translations literally read, flow from his belly. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So he talks about this living water. He's talking about the spirit that he's going to give us that's going to quench our thirst. That's going to quench the longings that he created us with. That's going to meet every need that he has given us, including our need for belonging. This is the spirit that will quench our thirst. And if anyone asks, they can have this living water. And so back in John chapter 4, verse 15, the woman then said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's getting close, but she's not quite there yet. 
I mean, I'm guessing that drawing water was a pretty hard job in those days. And so to have somebody say, I can give you water, you'll never be thirsty again, that's kind of like the fountain of youth or the magic fountain, right? And she's not sounding quite as clueless anymore by arguing with logic. Now she's following along with him, but it's still with her logic. It's still with the only thing she can understand. She can't fathom, she can't possibly fathom that he meant the Holy Spirit. She can't fathom what it would be like to live a life where our soul's deepest needs were met and we were truly at peace with our creator. And so she continues the conversation about the jug of water she's carrying and if he can give her this magic water, she won't have to come back to the well and keep slaving over the water day after day after day. And sometimes you and I are looking for God to deliver us from something that is so much smaller than what he wants to deliver us from. She didn't want to have to carry the jug every day, and he wanted to set her soul free. What are we asking God for that's too small? What are we asking God for that's like carrying a jug every day? And hear me, it is hard work, and it would be great not to have to do it anymore, but he wants to give us so much more. He wants to break the bondage that we've been in and set us free. He wants to show us truth and cause us to walk in a different trajectory. Can you imagine what it would be like to be so transformed that you and I were not stuck in the fears and the places that we have been stuck before? Friends, there are times and testimonies that I hear of people who are saved and healed and delivered and they walk out of that place. People who have been addicted to something and they come and they lay that something on the altar and they walk out and they are no longer addicted and we celebrate and we praise God for those victories. There are also people who have prayed and prayed and prayed and have walked a journey that feels excruciatingly slow. But if you look back at your life, if you look back at what God has done, you can see, oh my goodness, I have come so far. And I want to pause just this moment, and I want to invite all of you into an, oh my goodness, I have come so far place. I just want you to think for a minute. We've been kind of stuck in where you're at right now, but would you think about where you were a year, five years, ten years ago? Think about where God met you in that place. Think about where he has already been so faithful to you. Does that not give us faith for what we're facing tonight? Does it not give us trust that if he can carry us, then he will carry us again? And when we talk about Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith, and we talk about the Philippians verse that says, he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it, we're talking about a lifetime. We're talking about a journey. We're talking about the day when we get to heaven and we face him and there is perfect peace. And until that, we live on a broken planet and we take small steps as the Holy Spirit enables us. And every now and then we pause and we look back and we go, wow, I have come so far. I have the most ridiculous example on this one. And yet there's actually some soul truth to it. So I hated a capital H, capital A, capital T-E-D, hated cooking. You're like, big deal, Jennifer. And I'm like, no. Every afternoon at 4 o'clock, there was this moment of, oh, dear Jesus, my family needs to eat again. <laughs> Every day they need food. And I would, ag I heard that preach it. 
I would agonize over getting the menu planned and getting the grocery shopping done. I can't tell you how many nights I just would be not doing anything with food when my husband got home from work and he's a farmer and he'd been working hard all day and he walks in and he's like, oh shoot, he didn't ever say this out loud, it's just one of those nights. Jennifer just does not have it in her tonight. And, and I would try new recipes, and then I wouldn't like them. Do you know how frustrating it is to finally work at something, and then you don't like what you made? It's like, go. Oh. I'm being funny. I am. And it was true angst, because there was huge shame involved, because I am a wife and a mother, and I'm an intelligent, rational human being. Why can I not figure out how to have a healthy relationship with cooking for my family? And why are there days that my husband has to figure out what we're going to eat when he comes home from working long hours on the farm? Because I can't figure this out. And it had gotten to such a place with my own emotional trauma and my own shame about the whole thing that I asked my prayer team to pray for me. About 15 years ago, when I joined the volunteer team of women's ministries that the then pastor Susan Garlinger had as a requirement, that anybody serving as a volunteer with her had to have some people praying for them. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I'm not a missionary or anything. Why do I need a prayer team? But I wanted to serve with her, and I had to if I was going to serve with her. So I, I emailed some people. I said, hey, would you guys be a prayer team for this thing that I'm doing volunteering? They said, sure. One of the things I've learned over the years is that people who pray love to pray, and that if you want people praying for you, they are honored to be asked. And about four months into this journey, I emailed the team and I said, hey, because I was just telling them ministry things. You know, that's why I had to have a prayer team. So I'm going to tell them about the ministry things, pray for these things. And I said, hey, would you, do you, what do you guys think about praying for personal requests? And they were like, yes, Jennifer, we'll pray for personal requests. And you know, that team has changed over the last 15 years. Some people have gone, some people have stayed, new people have come onto that team. But I still have about 10 to a dozen people that I email yeah, monthly, a couple times a month, depending on what's going on. And they have been a mainstay in my life for 15 years. And so when this all, this crisis about food and food prep became big enough, I emailed my team. And you know, as ridiculous as this sounds, I need you guys to pray for me because this is a real deal for me. And um, over the years, there was a book, <laughs> a cookbook. If any of you need to take notes at this point, it's called The Fresh 20. Uh, it was a cookbook that not only had a um, meal plan for the week, a shopping list for the week, the prep ahead list, it was also healthy food. See, part of my problem with cooking was that uh, when my husband and I got married, he was already a no white flour, no sugar, no MSG kind of guy. So all your new bride cookbooks, yeah, out the door. No cream of chicken soup, nope. No lasagna, nope. So, so this book had these whole food, healthy food recipes that I started trying, and they tasted good. That was the next thing. You know, you put all this work into it, they taste good. So my family and I started going through this. It's set up in seasons. So there's four weeks for spring, four weeks for summer, winter, fall. And I went through about nine months of following the recipes in that thing, and it changed my life. I'm supposed to be telling you about Jesus, but the cookbook changed my life. <laughs> so I have the cookbook. I have 
seven to eight recipes out of it that are kind of regulars for us now. I don't actually pull it out and do the whole week-by-week week thing very often anymore, um, but it's there. But what has changed is I actually learned how to cook, <laughs> and I learned how to use spices, and I learned what kind of heat you need, and I had some fun, and I watched YouTube videos on how you're supposed to chop things fast so that when you need a meal done, I just, I just learned how to cook. And so now at four, when it's dinner time, I may have a, some shopping done and, and a recipe planned, or I may not, but I don't panic because I know what to do when I don't have what I need. And even when I don't have a recipe planned and I'm not sure what to do, I'm no longer ashamed to serve my family grilled cheese because it's not who I am anymore, right? Okay, super simple, a little bit dumb illustration. But a few weeks ago, my husband looked at me and he said, you are not emotionally wrapped up in cooking anymore. And I went, oh, you're right, I'm not. And he said, you need to tell your prayer team that. And I went, oh, you're right, I do. And sometimes it may happen like that for you and I, with some of the things that are literally like, when will this over be over? I'm never going to be better. I'm never going to be over this. I'm such a bad person. And you'll look back and somebody will reflect back to you that you have changed and that God has changed you, that as you continue to submit yourself to his healing journey, as you continue to have courage and boldness when he asked you to admit that you had a need, as you worked from a place from favor, knowing that you don't have it all together yet. I don't have it all together yet. We're not going to have it all together. We live on a broken planet and we're sinful people, but Jesus has it all together. He gives his all togetherness to us and calls it righteousness. And we work then from favor. And when we mess up, we make it right. And as we do that, we find that there are seasons when we can look back and go, I am not emotionally bound up by fill in the blank. Wow, look at what God has done. Because belonging is a gift, not earned. The woman at the well. I only got halfway through and I went off again, you guys. I did. So she was telling him that she just wanted him to make it so she didn't have to carry the jug every day. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. Aha, the plot thickens. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Isn't that interesting to kind of have a total stranger say, yeah, you're right about your life. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. See, she was completely known before he ever met her at the well. She was completely known before he asked her for water. She was completely known before he offered her the living water that she would never thirst again. She was completely known in her brokenness. We don't know why she had so many men in her life. Was she abused? Was she used? Was she discarded? Was she unfaithful? Was she a floozy? We don't know. But we know that she had more men in her life than most upright Jews or Samaritans had in those days. And Jesus knew all of that before he engaged in a conversation with her. And sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. You know, when God speaks truth to us, it just disengages all of our logic and all of our arguments, and we find that we are bare before him. We are, we're quite literally naked before him. There's nothing that he can't see, and yet he invites us to that place with no shame. See, Adam and Eve had shame, and they found fig leaves, and you and I have been finding fig leaves, and God's saying, you don't need fig leaves. I already knew all that. I already saw all of that, and I still invited you to have this living water. Belonging is given. It is not earned. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So they're heading into a theological conversation. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I didn't really quite understand everything you just said there, Jesus, but that might not have been in the words, but she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. It's kind of like she states the thing that she knows. Whatever you just said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. As in, okay, this theology just went over my head, but when Messiah comes, we're all going to get it, right? Can't tell you how often theology goes over my head, and I'm grateful. Um, Part of my personality is I'm okay with mystery. I'm okay with some tension. I'm okay with stuff that I don't understand. And I know for some people that's harder, just personality-wise, to sit in the mystery. But sometimes we have to sit there for a while. So she says, I know that Messiah is coming. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Do you realize that this Samaritan woman at the well, who he wasn't even supposed to be talking to, who had so many men in her life that she was so ashamed, scholars will tell you that's probably why she was at the well at the sixth hour, was because she was so ashamed she didn't go out to the well when the other women were going to the well in the cool of the morning. She went out when she knew she would be by herself and unaccosted by people who would accuse her. That she is one of the very first people that he reveals who he is to. The Samaritan woman who is steeped in sinful brokenness. And he says, I who speak to you am he. His disciples came back. They talked about food. He said some things about food. She went back to town and told people, this man told me everything I've ever done. Come and meet him. He stayed in the town for a few days, and many of them believed. This town found salvation because this woman who deserved nothing was given living water so that she would never thirst again. Friends, belonging is given. It is not earned. We work from the favor of the living God, not for the favor of the living God. And in the journey that we are on, we trust him. We trust him to bring the truth that we need and the healing that we need, and we continue to submit and surrender ourselves to his healing, even when it's hard. Linda shared these words. I am beloved, chosen, holy, dearly loved, treasured, free, courageous, beautiful, blameless, chosen, child of God, pure, clean, confident, delightful, white as snow, healed, joyful, lavished, pleasing to God, redeemed, restored, and precious. How many of you could say like Linda, for so many years those words run off of me like water, rain off of a raincoat? And God wants those words to anchor in your soul tonight. Here's what we're going to do. I want to end with the verse in Revelation that is in your booklet on session four. It's Revelation twenty-two seventeen. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. 
Here it is again. Belonging is given, not earned, and it's free. Before we do that, um, uh, Mandy shared with me that she had a word, and I think it's just really important for this particular juncture in where we're at tonight. So Mandy, would you come on up and share that with us? What I was sensing, again, the picture of the, um, where's Trina? There you are. It's, it's the porch again, and it's the house. And I was um, picturing the, for the porch for me, and what I was envisioning was fear. And how uh, fear has been something that has haunted me. And, um, and when, when, when I think of fear, I think in this setting here, what was coming was in, in the house, there's the fear of rejection and the fear of, um, the fear of vulnerability, the fear of I am the only one and, there, uh, and oh, I can't let anyone know this because um, I can't be that vulnerable because this is too bad or um, whatever it is. And that's the enemy. The enemy wants to keep us bound. When there's fear involved, uh, that's, that is the enemy, because as long as we're in fear, and I picture us going into this house, and we're bound up in that. We're bound up in the isolation and, and, um, and just the, the fear of rejection. That has been a stronghold in my life. Um, and then the enemy wins, but it's, it's not, and, and so then I, but we have to turn away from the porch and leave the porch and then step out. And the thing is, we don't see what's, what's on, uh, looking out from the porch because it's around the corner in a sense. That's what I was envisioning, that that's the step of faith. And when we walk in faith, it's risky. But, but we're walking away from the stronghold and the way the enemy has us. And, and Christ came that we would be free. He set us free. And that's something, it's a free gift. We, we can't belong if we're bound up in fear. And so that is a gift to us. And so that's my encouragement is to, um, is to walk in that freedom and to, to run from that porch. Yeah. So keep the microphone for a second. I'm going to ask Mandy to pray over us as we are entering into this time. While she prays, worship team, if you'd come up. Ministry prayer team, if you would come up and just line the front. You guys are free to go to the back. You're free to come to the front. You're free to... Be present with Jesus, okay? Okay. Would you pray for us? Holy Spirit, come. Would you come in this place? We welcome you. We would, we would bind any works of the enemy and any voice that he would speak, any fear. When we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be the voice that we would hear. We lift you up tonight, and we ask you, God, that we can walk in your wholeness and your freedom. Thank you that you do miracles. Thank you. I ask for each one in this room, every lady that has come to this retreat, God, would you set them free with whatever struggle they're walking through. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.